Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's going on? We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the Britflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast 2016. Welcome to another Britflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast. Today, I've got with me. Can you introduce yourselves, fellas? Uh, yeah, I'm Stuart Spark. I'm the director of The Creature Below. And I'm Paul Butler, the writer. Okay, so that's that's naming the film too. We're talking about Creature Below. Who wants to tell me and the audience a brief synopsis about Creature Below? Okay, so yeah, The Creature Below is our first feature film. And uh, it's a horror film about a young marine biologist who encounters... Um, a creature on a deep sea dive and she uh, has a very near-death experience but finds out that she's brought back with her uh, an egg which hatches and grows into this strange creature um, and over the course of the film she finds out that the creature has a um, almost like a psychic connection with her and it drives her to madness and insanity so uh, <laughs> that's our film really without giving too much away <laughs> well, I mean, no, you know, you've sold me the sizzle not the steak that's good <laughs> um, so, in that sense, then, when, when you were uh, when the pair you were at the blank page stage, um, what was it that inspired this as as a film to to want to make and create? Um, well, really, this was kind of formulated out of lots of ideas that we had bounding around our heads collectively. Okay. Uh, it started off very different. It started off as a much more kind of character based, smaller drama about a guy that slowly descends into madness um but we're a big fan of kind of creature effects and mm-hmm. creature um creature features and gore really and we met we met up with some really great um visual effects artists and guys and we just i don't know just kind of got sparked and thought well we can push this a lot more now we can really kind of delve into it um and then yeah we just kind of ramped things up <laughs> and went a yeah. bit crazy it's quite Heavily based, or at least origi- original ideas on H.P. Lovecraft. Okay. Who um, was really ahead of his time, a 1920s writer, um, that writes a lot of kind of out there horror, a lot of otherworldly entities. Um, and it was just a really interesting playground to start creating something from. Um, and yeah, I think we've done it 
I don't know, kind of justice, we hope. <laughs> I, I hope so, yeah. Well. I mean, it's definitely its own thing. It's not to yeah. say that this is not based on H.P. Lovecraft or anything like that. It's definitely inspiration there, but you'll see inspiration from a lot of other works as well. Mm. I mean, we mainly, as Paul said, wanted to make a creature feature, um, but we had this idea that existed already, which was a psychological thriller slash horror film, and the two just met in the middle yeah, perfectly. Uh, and as we were coming up with that idea together, and then Paul wrote the script... It just seemed to flow really well, and uh, with the with the fright fest um, news as well, it looks like at least someone else <laughs> likes the idea as well. So we'll see what happens when people uh, watch it at fright fest, which will be really exciting. Well, that's a lovely segue. So when when can people see your film at fright fest? Um, so f- we're in uh, Discovery Screen Two at ten past six on Saturday, the twenty seventh of August. So um, please come along. <laughs> are you, are you, <laughs> well, well, there'll be a, there'll be a link in the uh, in the show notes for uh, for details and stuff. But um, are you are you guys going to be in town for Fright Fest? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's a bit of a strange one for me to be honest. <laughs> um, my wife's pregnant and kind of due around that time. <laughs> I mean, we don't either way. Um, I just might have to dash back. <laughs> but no, we'll be there definitely. We won't miss it. Um, a lot of the cast and crew are coming down as well, so there'll be a big turnout. Um, yeah, of our gang. this is also interesting because we kind of finished the film, spent all our money, didn't have any money for a rap party or anything. A lot of the cast and crew live down south and various other places. Yes. So this will be our kind of, the first time that anyone except me and Paul will be watching the film who worked on it. And also it will be our rap party as well. So we're really looking forward to it. <laughs> Finally, you know, like a year and a half later. <laughs> so so is this, this is a world premiere then, yeah? Yeah, this is first time. We've, you know, we, we literally just finished it and when we submitted it to Fright Fest, um, so this is, yeah, world premiere, first time it's been seen by anyone, really. So it'd be great for someone other than me every night for the past year to have been watching it while I've been editing it. It's going to be good. <laughs> now, one question that I've, uh, that's evolved out of doing this, because obviously I, I keep, keep talking to filmmakers, uh, a new question that I thought about last night I discussed with someone was just to position the film. If I was to organise a double bill with a well-known film and your film, what would be the film that you think would be a good double bill partner to play alongside your film? I know what my idea would be. What's your, your favourite film? Which one? The Thing. Oh, yeah, John Carpenter's <laughs> The Thing. That would be a good one to watch him with. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely... That psychological horror, the tension is in there. Mm. I would have personally said, though, Under the Skin, which is a recent oh, one. Oh, yes. But it shares a lot of the same DNA with that film, the Scott Johnson film, which, if... People listening haven't seen that. Do check that out. It's awesome. Tonally, it's very similar. Yeah. Have you read the book? I haven't. No. Very good. Yeah, very good. I mean, it's one of it's one of those um, one of those examples where you can see the skill of the adaptation and creating a film, which is very different in all intents and purposes than the book, but you can see its DNA across the two. Oh, brilliant! I'll check that out. Yeah. I've been reading on the train to work every day um, loads of, like, horror anthologies. So I've just finished reading Nicholas Vince just did one, which is um, Other People's Darkness, which is, like, you're just sat on the train on the way to work in the commute and you're just, like, deeply disturbed about these <laughs> thoughts. It's, like, it's great fun. <laughs> so so you've already, you've already mentioned that, that, that part of what happened with this was that you began to see problems you could solve with a creature that then brought that element into what was a kind of 
more traditional kind of psychological horror thriller. Um, so, so um, during that kind of pre-production stage, what, what aspects of, of what you had seemed the sort of most insurmountable or the, or the biggest challenges for you going into the production? Uh, well, it wasn't so much that um, the creature was solving problems that existed in the previous version of the film. It was more that we had this idea, um, which I thought that Paul had come up with and developed, um, that so, we thought was good, but we thought this film would be so much cooler if it had a squid monster in it. <laughs> sorry, no, sorry, no, no. What I meant was you, you began to... People were saying to you it, it was possible to have one, as it were. I don't mean that it solved story oh, problems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. From a practical point of view, I guess you thought well, that wouldn't be affordable, and then you found out it probably was. Yeah, definitely. That's what I'm sorry. That's what I meant. If, sorry to confuse yeah. you. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, we were lucky to be honest. We worked. Um, we did a short film, which was a Viking horror kind of zombie esque uh, film that played on a lot of old Norse knowledge, and we were lucky enough to get visual um, effects based on that. Um, Neil from uh, around my neck of the woods, he kind of got in contact and was like, oh, I really like your stuff, we should start working together. We worked on that, and he was like, whatever you guys are doing next... Who, sorry, who was that again? Sorry, say that name. Neil Stevens. Neil, okay, yeah, sorry. Neil sorry. Stevens, sorry. Um, yeah, and he said, whatever you're working on next, give me a shout, because I'll be really interested. So we kind of had him in the bag almost, and it right. allowed us to spark the ideas. Um, and really, we, we kind of outsourced that element, if you like, the develop, not the development side, but more the um, creation of it, um, working with Neil and his team, Paul, as well. Um, and that allowed us to, yeah, just, I don't know, start to build that in. It did allow us, as you said, really, we thought, well, how are we going to pull this off? But having seen his work, it was like what he's able to do on a small budget was phenomenal, really. Um Lots of artwork went into it, a lot of concept art, and that kind of bounced back and forwards. But it was a really collaborative process and a really kind of beneficial one for, for the whole thing. Um, and, yeah, we actually ended up with one um, kind of egg-sized um, puppy, I suppose, mm. then an egg that was shattered, uh, then a medium-sized, and then a full-on massive <laughs> creature <laughs> by the end with big tentacles and everything. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they brought it on on budget. Um, they did an amazing job in very short amount of time and actually came up to York for a few days to install it and show us how it all worked and stuff. And I don't know, I think if you... If you're passionate about it, people pick up on that and they want to help you. So they're yeah. really on board with it, which was so nice, really. Yeah, they pulled out all the stops considering the amount of money we had to make yeah. this film. Um, <laughs> definitely. Well, just 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 rewinding a second, then I, ju I jumped off one of my own question. So, and and it's uh, it is sort of during the, the scripting stage, then. So, what what for the pair of you was the hardest storytelling challenge to resolve? You know, in terms of the, the provenance and logic, and obviously now you've got a creature, the sort of rules of the game and stuff, I suppose. Yeah, well, in a weird way, the world building um, was a big one. We we had a strong idea of how we wanted the world to be, uh, yeah. but the whole like the whole kind of element of the area was we were tapping into this bigger, mythical kind of prehistory entity that lives under the sea that's been sleeping dormant for, for many, many eons, really. And suddenly, our protagonist wakes this up. So the the tricky part from the story was getting across the grander scale of things. 
but keeping it on the the personal, keeping it on the the realities that we can all kind of connect to, um, which we we focused on a a bit of a love triangle that takes place um, right. between three characters to try and ground it in a domestic setting, but allow for the for the horror to really creep in on that. So the the effect of this otherworldly entity um, was felt on a very small level as the horror creeps in and it kind of justified the gore and we go quite quite gory and quite kind of dark in areas mm. uh, but hopefully it feels like you can see the character kind of progress if that makes sense no no so, 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 so in a way you were kind of it's this the, the, the classic thing isn't it where if if the audience no matter how good the drama is for a horror film if the audience don't know what they're meant to be scared of yeah. In terms of the wider world of the story you're in, it's hard to engage with it, isn't it? Because it ends up being overly dramatic and not enough building of the horror. But if you, if, even if it's just like a signpost at the beginning or whatever, you know, it's kind of it. It becomes a reason to to engage because you go, oh my god, how are these people going to end up in trouble? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we do kind of the character. Um, the well, the creature kind of evolves with the character as well. So mm. the character's discovering what this is as we go along. So hopefully, it kind of helps the audience grasp onto the deeper, the deeper stuff going on underneath. Okay, That's now, not clear, but <laughs> <laughs> now, now from a from a directing point of view, um, what's 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 your approach in terms of? Um, your conversation with your cast, you know, is this is was there a lot of work done before everyone got on set to sort of set expectations? Was it was it a kind of suck it and see when you, when everyone arrived and see what the mood was, or somewhere between there? What was what was your approach? Well, I mean, everyone we when we were still writing the script, the script wasn't at its final draft stage when we were actually casting the film. Okay, and everyone we were meeting, we were making them very aware of the type of film we were making because it is a very unusual film. Um, for people who aren't into horror films, it seemed like a very unusual film. Um, so getting the cast on board and explaining what the, we were trying to achieve on such a low budget was very important. Mm. And all of them were very much into what we were trying to do. Um, the great thing about working with Paul is um, I'm much more on the technical side of directing. Paul's so tuned into the script and he served as first AD as well. Right. He was able to talk to the cast while I was managing the other technical side of things, so it was very much a two-hander on the day. Right. Um, but in regards to prep, we were so... We had... The interesting thing about us is we both worked at the same... We both work at a film school at the exact same place. Yes. It's very hard for us to both get holiday off <laughs> at the same time. So what happened is we were, like, near the end of the script, and we went, right, in two months' time, we can both get these two weeks off, and that's the only time in the next two years we can get it off. Yeah. So we both went, right, we better have everything ready to shoot this in two months. Yeah. And it was a crazy, crazy... It was galvanising in a yeah. weird way. But yeah, it was a... Well, I don't know, it was a run to the finish. But again, as Stuart was saying, we, we got everyone on board, and yeah. they seemed to sign up to that as well, which mm. was nice. But in terms of, as you're saying, preparing the cast and, and getting them into the roles and everything, we, we had maybe, I don't know, one or two full read-throughs, yeah. but we just didn't have time for rehearsals and things. So on the day we got in there, we were going through the scenes with everyone and just going, flying by the seat without pants, and thank <laughs> God, because we had those earlier talks and with them all, yeah. they all knew what we were going for, and in between takes, problem-solving, Paul would speak to the cast and, and get out, because he's very much on board with the characters, he knows their backstories, where they were born, everything like that. 
Whereas I'm much more trying to keep the flow of the story and the pacing. Because yeah. um, as an editor as well, I could see how it cut together in my mind as we were shooting it. So I was like, we definitely need to touch on that point for a visual reference for this scene. So having Paul there is very much um, working together on that side of things. You, you mentioned the word unusual. Um, do you want to expand on that at the beginning? Because when, when you say it's an unusual film, what, what, are you, what are you pinpointing there with that, the use of that word? Well, I mean, it's unusual if you're not a horror fan. You know, oh, okay, okay. So, you know, I tell my mum, for example, we're making, oh, is it one with the guy with the machete or is it one with aliens and stuff? And I'm like, no, it's actually about, you know, when you explain the concept to someone, it does sound quite strange. Aspects of the story, there's a bit, there's a lot of maternal aspects of the, of Olive, the main character, with the creature itself that we tried to see as unsettling as possible. Yeah, yeah. And there's a standout scenes in there, which I think people would not expect us to go that far yeah. um, as we did, and maybe we could have pushed it even further. Um, okay, okay. I'd say unusual as well, because the budget was so low, and I don't think we restricted ourselves in terms of the scope of the film. Again, I think Stuart's really good at allowing um, our budgets, well, not allowing the budgets to dictate how he shoots and how he brings character from the, the actors. So it felt much bigger and much stronger budget than what we've got. And it's kind of surprised quite a few people what was much good about it, really. point of view Stuart your your conversation with with the actors when you when you when you're on the when you're actually at the shoot at the shot itself as it were on the scene um that that cajoling either what you want or allowing them to express themselves what was the what was the deal there with you you, between you and your actors well I mean again because I'm very methodical in the way that I want the visual language of the film to be exactly as the way I need it to be yeah I will give them very, very specific directions in terms of actions and things like that. But when it comes to character, um, they'll often, especially like Anna, Michaela um, and Dan, who were the three leads, were so good at saying, oh, how about this? I think my character would do this. And I'd go, oh, that's a really good point. And again, Paul would be by my side the whole time and he'd go, as the writer, he'd say, oh, yes, how about this? Um, And they could bring that so much more depth than I would have brought. (laughs) I think you're underselling yourself a little bit there. (laughs) Stuart kind of leads the, the actors but creates a space in which the actors feel confident to, to try out things. And yeah, I guess what I was kind of just on the sidelines making sure, okay, if we go down that route, we might have a bit of an emotional beat that we've missed out on or we might need to bring this back. But again, I think even with the incredible time, like small time frame we had, the actors really brought into it and really got involved with it. So they wanted to bring more to the table and Stuart just geared them towards what he needed um, and allowed that kind of passion to grow out of it. So there's some cracking performances in there. Um, and again, we pushed certainly Anna into some very, again, interesting areas, <laughs> very dark in areas, but also um, very emotionally draining, I suppose. It's, mm, yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting one. But again, we couldn't have done that without everyone being totally on board with it. Okay, now now thinking about your uh, your audience for your world premiere and 
trying to sell a little bit more of that sizzle without spoiling. Um, what what aspect of uh, of your film are you most excited to see or experience with an audience for the first time? I can't wait to disturb the hell out of people um, <laughs> because I think that the I'm really pleased with how the films ended up in the cut. It builds and it's a nice slow burner for the first maybe twenty minutes, yeah. and then an escalating series of mad shit starts to happen. <laughs> so, um, and again, there's the obviously there's a lot of deaths in the film. Uh, there's a monster in it, and I wanted the monster to eat people from the outset, and that does happen. And then we tease that out through the start of the film, and you get a sense that. You know, you can see where you're like, oh, you can see what she's going to do here. But then we start to make it creepier and creepier where it starts to become a bit unsettling with one particular death. So I'd love to see, to sit in the audience and see their reaction to that or disgust at that would be great. (laughs) Um, But with it being Fryfest, though, these guys are like the diehard horror fans. (laughs) This might not be enough. I don't know. (laughs) But no, I, I seriously think, you know, we've got something that will definitely please um, Gorehounds and uh, fans of disturbing psychological horror films and there's a bit of action in there too so so, yeah. so you've got you've got a film, you've got a film that is in its ingredients includes gore and scares is that yes I think not so much it's not a jump scare film right. um, not so much into jump scare films myself um, although we were just watching Event Horizon <laughs> earlier and we were reminded how many doors slam that make a big noise is quite hilarious but um, no it's definitely more of a uh, tension building, um, slow um, paced, uh, like psychological horror more than anything. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's a more disturbing than a jump scare, a boo kind of horror. We don't we don't need well, we don't rely on that in a way. But yeah, much more toe curling than anything else. I got you, I got you. So you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna unsettle us and then gross us out. That's our big hope. Yeah. <laughs> My big test is, uh, I've got to test it on my mum, because I know that if it works on her, we're all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a good, a good measure of a horror film, how much <laughs> how much mum will actually watch, or yes. how much she covers her eyes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've already been told by several relatives who, who kind of came on set to help us out that they will not be watching the film, so yeah. that's a good sign for me. <laughs> you're, you're, you're the second filmmaker that sort of used the uh, the closest family as as the yardstick for uh, what yeah. it is. Um, yeah, yeah, the, test subjects, definitely. The um, the director of um, Night of Something Strange. His, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, when when he showed the film and he'd obviously invested his own money in it and things like that, being an indie film, mm-hmm. his his mother was kind of going. So, so, like, is there a market for this? <laughs> this, this um, and he had to explain to her, like, the likes of Fright Fest and stuff that exist in the world, and there's thousands of people all waiting for this type of film. <laughs> oh, yeah. So then, um, from, from, with it being your, your first feature was what you were saying, wasn't it? Yes, first so, feature, very first. So, yeah. so that's a massive, massive milestone, so congratulations there. Thank you. Um, so thinking about that as your... Well, and, and I imagine the creature features quite high on the. Um, if I think about, you know, what would you class as achievements in the sh- in the shoot itself? But but if you if you put the creature to one side in terms of the overall film, um, were were the specific aspects that you look back on and think of as sort of achievements that you didn't think you would pull off when you started? I think the the whole thing as one is is a huge achievement. The whole, as we explained earlier, the timescale we had 
the money we had, we jumped so headfirst into this yeah. working because we had, you know, a small amount of our salary saved up and then we were like, crap, we're going to need an extra grand for this and an extra <laughs> yeah. grand for that. Yeah. You know, the amount of last was... minute stuff that we had to do was, I think the fact that we overcame it yeah. came out the other side was... Well, we were, we were shooting at one location when our, pro, um, our creature effects guys were still building and implementing the creature into the second location. So Blimey. there was so much craziness going on. Eve, most evenings we were probably buying additional props and yeah. different bits and bobs. Stuart was doing all the backups and everything else. So it was full on. But my, my kind of biggest achievement, I think, from us to, from a producer, sorry, a producer side yeah. sort of things, um, is that everyone who came on board were like, this is great, this is really well organised, we want to work with you guys again. Yeah. And it was like almost daft little things when you think of it, but we, everyone had a bed to stay in, everyone kind of, most of them hotels and things. We fed people hot food every day, we broke for lunch, and pretty much we finished band on time pretty yeah. much every single day. We maybe had one or two. showing off now. <laughs> well, no one will believe us because we don't believe it ourselves. But <laughs> as much as an achievement it was, it doesn't take away the nightmares I have every night. Oh yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> All the flashbacks to to how stressed I was. <laughs> I must have aged about ten years <laughs> in that small say, space of time. We're all grey and boring. So I mean, I've I've, I've been I recently read um, um, Devil's Candy, uh, the um, the Brian De Palma story of making Bonfire of Vanity. Oh, yeah. And uh, he refers to making a film as entering a tunnel and the only way out is the other end. You're not allowed to come back, you know. And he, he refers to, like, you know, his, his view is once you're in the tunnel. Oh, definitely. Well, I didn't that's see it. friends and family for yeah. those two weeks. We, <laughs> everyone just lived together. Yeah. Well, my, my girlfriend kindly saw. agreed. She wasn't forced. I mean, <laughs> she, she kindly agreed to go home and stay with her parents for two weeks just so that I could have yeah. cast and crew sleeping on the floor and I could be alone ditting every night and copying yeah. all the footage over and make sure we got everything, preparing the shot list and printing them off. And it was like, yeah, you go into this little bubble yeah. of super, super seriousness and concentration <laughs> Uh, and then when you come out the other side, you're like, who was that person? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you were a completely different person. It definitely wasn't a break from work. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we'll do it again though in a heartbeat. Yeah. So. So, <laughs> so, so thinking that, I mean, you say, I mean, do you, do you teach at the film school? Is that? Um, we're technicians. So mm -hmm. um, Paul, Paul's done a bit of teaching. Yeah, I, I've been a technical demonstrator. So it involves a, a, a bits of teaching around equipment specifically. Okay. Um, but yeah, we're both kind of technicians. So a lot of involvement with students and things like that. But um, it's great because Stuart especially knows the, the technical stuff inside and out. So uh, certainly all of our post-production, Stuart kind of shouldered all of that as well. Which um, which was great from a budget point of view. <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice no, but we knew what we could do with the equipment we had. So even though we had basic sliders and basic um, grip equipment, we were able to push it quite far. Oh, and okay. We tend not to tell people what lights we actually use for this shit. Yeah, because I mean, won't believe. if you, I think, I think the thing I'm most proud of is the film looks like it costs more than it actually did. Yeah, which. Um, when you actually lay out our equipment on the floor, it's a 400 quid 
Black mm. Magic Pocket Cinema Camera, some cheap, like, vintage lenses that you got super cheap um, from, like, lent, lent from someone else that they happen to have. Um, some LED lights that cost 30 quid off Amazon <laughs> that take AA batteries. And a smoke machine from Aldi that cost 20 quid. Yeah. And that was pretty much our setup. <laughs> so, so, basically, you're making yourself sound like the A-team now. <laughs> took some elastic bands yeah. and we got paper clips and then the guy that flew in. Yeah, so yeah. I do love it when a plan comes together, though. No, but honestly, that's, going back to your previous question, I think that's the answer to give. That's the thing I'm most mm. proud of, that oh, we yeah. pulled it off and you look at it. But that's the, the wonderful thing about technology now is... £400 Blackmagic yeah. pocket cameras within most people's reach. Of course, um, yeah. And it's just putting in the time on the YouTube tutorials on how to shoot raw and yeah. learning how to edit and colour grade, and we did all that in it's the end. the craft, it's, isn't it? And not yeah. relying on the, on the tech in a way. Oh, definitely. You don't need thousands and thousands of pounds of camera kit to make a good-looking film, I don't think. But, again, yeah. people will be the judge at Fright Fest. Yeah, I know exactly. people like, like uh, the way it looks and... and think it looks as good as we think it well, no, no, no. The reason I asked about the teaching bit is because, not to be too corny, but obviously being your first feature film, there's, there's, there's probably a hundred million things that you've, that you've they've learned that you didn't know before you started it. So I was just thinking, if you, were, if you were stood there in front of one of the classes talking about making your first feature film, what would be sort of your top three things that spring to mind of lessons learned that, you'll be, that you reckon you'll be taking forward into future productions? I think the main one for me is on the producing side. Mm -hmm. Spend more time in pre-production than you think you're going to need. Um, I wish we'd had more time to plan, more time to schedule. It was very down to the wire. And you don't appreciate a good shot list (laughs) until you don't have one. (laughs) Okay, okay. You know what I mean? It's like I was doing this... It got to the point when we had such little time, as I said, we could only do it in these two weeks, that... By the end of the shoot, I was doing shot lists the night before because that was the only time I literally had to do it. And if I'd have had more time, I'm sure I could have come up with much more complex and interesting shots and things. Mm. Again, I think it's turned out really well, and it was very much on your feet thinking. But that pre-production time, going through this, having rehearsals with actors, it's things like that. And um, it's, yeah, prep, prep, prep. Like, again, if we were in the... Making the film itself was no different to a short film. It was just on a... Mu- it's I just think, every day back yeah. to back. <laughs> all, all I kind of took away is the stamina that mm. it requires because we've done short films before and bits and bobs, and it's intense, but it's maybe two, three days, something like that. It's, yeah. not, it's not that much, but you have to sustain that level of intensity for two weeks. And we, we did in a very short amount of time. I mean, if we had a month or so and we were constantly that um, that intense, I don't know, it doesn't, nothing prepares you for it other than doing it, though. Um, and the other thing I would say is collaborating, I guess. Yes, yeah. We got great people around us, um, which enabled all of us to get what we wanted from the process. Um, so, yeah, good people. I think, yeah, <laughs> good people is definitely... Everyone we got from, like, we had... Um, people like Natalie Rowe who was doing the costumes and yeah, the props brilliant. she would show up she would have had a list of everything she had everything laid out I didn't have to tell her to give anything to the actors or get anything ready because she'd read the script she knew what was going to be in yeah. the scenes we were going to film it was amazing and that extended into every department yeah. so I could just show up on set we'd be setting the camera up with my DOP Cal O'Connell 
And I, Natalie would have already got all the people in costume. The cre- the effects guys would have already had all the effects of Freddy, and it was it was great. And all those people were doing it for the same reasons we we were to make a feature film. No one was getting paid for some money yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all because they wanted to like right. This is our first feature. I mean, some of them it was three features yeah. down the line for them, but they were like, I want to make a good piece yeah. of art that I want to show to people so everyone put the effort in and it's finding those people mm. who want it as badly as you do yeah. because when you I mean we've all worked on short films in the past where there's just that person there who just gives up halfway through or is not <laughs> it and you're just like it's like why are you even here yeah. <laughs> well look let's, let's remind people then when can they see the world premiere of Creature Below so the world premiere is on Saturday the 27th of August at uh, 10 past 6, I believe, mm-hmm. at the Discovery 2 screen. Tickets are still available. Yes, come along. Cool. <laughs> okay, well, look, thank you very much for coming on the Britflix podcast to talk about your film. Thank you, mate. Yeah, it's been fantastic. You, yeah. We're massive fans of the website anyway because yeah, yeah. you guys were the first people to share the teaser trailer back in the day. Yeah. And Paul's like... I'm obsessed with biggest the website, fan. by the way. <laughs> Um, I get all of my Brit information, my Brit film information from this website, so much so that way back yes. in the day, we, we kind of um, did a review show of British British films just to try and get a bit more publicity for British films generally and right. connect people, and it was all from your website. <laughs> <laughs> we just well, went, oh, we'll watch that. We were just like, I, I stumbled across it and was like, this is amazing, this is information I've been looking for because... British cinema, unfortunately, doesn't get the publicity that it deserves because there's great films being made by talented people. But, I don't know, it's sites like this that get it out there. So, well done. And yeah, thank thanks, you. mate. Uh, Cheers. A lot. No, thank you. I'll, uh, I'll, well, John will hear this when he listens to the podcast, as he always does. <laughs> I'm, I'm the podcast host. It's, uh, the, the website is the, uh, is the invention of a guy called John Baker, um, and he's a very good fella. So, uh, well, I think you might have been in touch with him for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It rings a bell that night. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, I'm uh, I'm going to leave all that in the podcast, and because uh, I think that's a nice thing for you to say, and I'm very happy to let other people know. Um, so yes, so as again, thank you very much for giving us your time. Thank you, mate. Thank you. See you later, mate. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes. Hey, what's going on? If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we release it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to stream from on the website. This has been a Britflix Frightfest preview podcast 2016.
Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.